Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this edition of the Cattleman's Call podcast. Lane Nordland, happy to have you with us here once again. Thank you for answering the Cattleman's Call. Uh, for, for many Americans across the nation, many are under self-quarantine or under state restrictions due to the COVID-19 virus. It's having an impact on the financial markets. It's impacting the livestock markets. And we're going to discuss how the coronavirus is impacting the lives of cattle men and women here on the podcast today. Uh, joining us on the phone, we have three outstanding guests from across the nation joining us here today. Uh, first, I would just like to introduce the president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association from Florida. Marty Smith is joining us from Kansas, Jerry Bond, and from Minnesota, Don Schiefelbein. Of course, uh, Jerry's the president-elect of NCBA, and Don is vice president of the association um, of course, uh, we're all on a, on a on a party line. We could call it here today, but but I'll start with uh, with Marty first. Uh, uh, Marty, how are things going down in Florida uh, here here on this day? Well, we're we're having bright and sunny conditions, and if it wasn't for uh, fear of a virus, I think things would be good here. Uh, certainly, with a large population like we have, a very noticeable impact on uh, on all aspects of our life here. Uh, Florida, of course, does have such a, a heavy tourist influx, and that's just uh, gone away for right now. And so we we certainly see it uh, on our on the lack of traffic and uh, the, the lack of activity uh, around the state. So, Marty, in particular, as we look at the coronavirus, uh, how has this impacted your family's operation? Uh, of course, we, we're all very busy on our livestock operations right now, but uh, how has this impacted the, the ebb and flow of your operation? We're having to take, uh, you know, we are trying to take extra precautions with uh, with our families and with uh, uh, the, the people that we have working on the ranch, uh, make sure that... Uh, that we do follow all of the safe practices uh, and uh, try to avoid anything that would would have a tendency to spread any kind of virus. So, uh, you know, with that said, we continue to try to conduct business as normal. Well, uh, again, uh, very, very uh, uh, serious situation across the nation impacting every single American out there, whether it is livestock producers or consumers. Uh, in Kansas, uh, Jerry, uh, how are things going for you here today on the operation? And uh, again, that question, uh, how is coronavirus impacting uh, the family business here today? My wife and I live in Wichita, Kansas, and we're all, we have a statewide uh, shelter-in-place order, so virtually all the businesses are closed. Uh, you know, those that are considered essential are still operating. Um, restaurants are closed. Uh, many are trying to do curbside service or takeout. We did do a takeout uh, from a pizza restaurant the other night. As far as our business, uh, we have three feed yards, two in Kansas, one in Oklahoma, and we have limited access to our offices. Uh, uh, we're doing a lot of business via the social media and the Internet. Uh, we are rotating some of our office staff. We don't have a full team there all the time. Uh, one of the things that we also did for our own employees is we gave them an extra two weeks of pay to help offset some of the uh, additional costs that they may be facing with the shutdown and with additional childcare and those kinds of things. Uh, uh, 
but it's pretty much business as usual at the feed yards. Otherwise, we're making certain that we're on the top side of all of our storage facilities for feed ingredients. So if there becomes a problem, uh, we can operate for a few days. Yeah, Jerry, you mentioned, uh, yeah, of course, my, my broadcast is coming from Bozeman, Montana today. And just yesterday, our governor announced that we will be under uh, a stay-at-home lockdown order starting uh, at 12.01 a.m. on Saturday morning. So that'll be tomorrow. And I, I, I just can't imagine how the grocery stores are right now. I'm glad I stocked up on my Coors Light before all the, the lockdown occurred here up in Montana. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, but uh, lo- looking out to Minnesota, uh, Don, I know you, you come from a, f- a fairly large family operation out there. Uh, uh, what, how are the dynamics uh, out there, and uh, how is the coronavirus being handled in your state, and, and what are some steps uh, you, that you're handling on, on the family place? Well, I, I, I can speak for myself and my family that's saying that, boy, anxiety is running awfully high. You know, when you see kind of a disruption like this in a family operation, and today's family operators like ourselves, you, you deal with large numbers, right? So if you see any disruption, the economic impact is substantial. So each morning we're wondering how this market's going to open, if it's going to hold together, and trying to keep those who are in charge of doing the risk management for the operation sane, if you will, because as they try to go through these uncharted waters, it just becomes a, a real tough mind thing to try to get to as they make decisions for the entire family, right or wrong, that may have huge consequences. On the positive side, you mentioned we have a large family. So right now, uh, they the kids are out of school till uh, May 1st, I guess, the governor just released. So we have somewhere around, oh, 30 or 40 grandchildren that run around the operation so on a silver lining standpoint, I guess, as you're going through all this anxiety, it's nice to look out and you literally will see a pack of 10-year-olds heading out to the woods to play or a pack of 7-year-olds going over this way to screw around and doing something that way. So it's been kind of fun to see the family come together and kind of bond as a family during this difficult time. No, oh, definitely, definitely is. And I think that's one thing that, that farmers and ranchers across the nation uh uh, having really that uh, set in place social distancing that many of us uh, have grown up with and continue to live with is is important because uh, we, we can't stop what we do out in the countryside. We need to be cognizant and put measures in place to make sure that our families and our and our employees are safe. Uh, and Don, I'm going to stick with you. Uh, just kind of what what are you hearing from uh, fellow cattle producers out your way? Uh, kind of what what they're doing to ensure that their herds are are, are uh, uh, taken care of uh, during this outbreak. Obviously, not not everyone has the opportunity to to maybe have uh, employees. It's uh, it maybe just a one or two person operation. Uh, what are you hearing from them out out in Minnesota? Yeah, and you know, largely our our the cattle producers around us are you know smaller far, family farm type operations, and by and large, it's business as usual, only with just an added amount of stress, if you will, with the uncertainty in the marketplace. So. You know, we're, we're, everybody's in the midst of calving, and it's amazing how just carrying out everything that needs to be done kind of keeps you occupied, and you kind of live in your own world, at least we do in Minnesota during this time, because, boy, today, right now we're in a very, very busy time with calving season, et cetera, and it's just uh, staying focused at getting the tasks done at hand right now for most of Minnesota. 
Jerry, what what are you hearing from uh, fellow feedlot operators uh, in, in your country? Uh, I know you you shared with us uh, the protocol that that you have all put into place, but uh, what what are some folks doing? Maybe uh, so, some of the bright spots, maybe some some of the uh, things they've had to really adapt to in making sure that they have feed on hand and whatnot. Uh, uh, what are you hearing from uh, your colleagues down there? Well, I think they're working very closely with their trucking companies that deliver all the needed ingredients for rations and for supplies into the, into the feed yards. Uh, like Don mentioned, there's a lot of anxiety and stress. Uh, market has been very, very volatile and a lot of concern about that as we move forward. Uh, luckily the last couple of weeks, the market has responded positively to the, the increase in demand for beef that's come from the, uh, I think the anxiety that consumers have had, and so that's helped us get quite a few cattle sold at a, at a better price than what it looked like we were going to get uh, when this thing first hit. So uh, anxiety and concern about the market probably is the biggest mm-hmm. challenge. Mm-hmm. Marty, how about for yourself, Florida, the southeast, uh, what, what, what are you hearing from fellow producers down there? Maybe some uh, some bright spots, maybe some, some areas that they've been working on that maybe they, they didn't have some supplies on hand. Uh, uh, how, how's that uh, playing out in the southeast? Well, certainly the anxiety level is very high, as Jerry was indicating. Uh, and I think that's true throughout the country. We certainly, like everybody else, we face that. Um, I think for you know southeastern producers, the volatility in the market has uh, been, been a tremendous concern. We're certainly glad to see some some correction to that. Uh, hopefully, everybody is really looking, and we are we're hearing good things though about the manner in which beef is being taken off the shelf at the stores. That certainly points to what our uh, what our industry and what our checkoff has been doing in terms of building that demand for beef that. When people are, uh, are 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 looking to to have to stay home and eat, beef now becomes a uh, a, a prize item, and uh, certainly should should show a lot of support for our industry and our product. To look at the shelves, the empty shelves at the grocery stores, to see that um, yeah the, the beef is going out of there before anything else. Um, so, you know, hopefully that gives everybody a better sense of uh, of, of where we're going. I think we're all concerned about the future, about how long this is going to last, about what the overall impact, and the, the, the long-term impact is going to be in the marketplace. And, you know, just uh, concern for all of our fellow citizens out there, and we're, we're all facing this together. And Marty, you bring up, you know, we, we've all mentioned the anxiety that this is creating, not just for the, the livestock industry, but for every single family-owned business and every business out across the nation. Uh, as we look at uh, the economic impact that uh, the coronavirus has had on the industry, uh, we, we just saw that uh, NCBA uh, really uh, was, was pushing hard to make sure that uh, there was relief for cattle producers in the stimulus uh, uh, bills that were uh, that are currently the House. As, as we talk right now, the House is debating the, the stimulus bill. Nine and a half billion dollars would be directed uh, uh, towards uh, the livestock industry uh, to, to to really help offset costs and help producers get through this time. You know, as not only officers of the NCBA, but but uh, as as cattle producers yourself, why is it so important for the association to seek that funding, uh, uh, Marty? Well, first, I want to point out this is something that NCBA historically has is. It's an area where we have not ventured. Um, 
But given the severity of this situation, uh, given the concerns around the country, we felt that it was our time to step up and take affirmative action to move forward to help our producers, again, weather this, uh, you know, weather this crisis. Um, there's, again, as we've talked about, the volatility in the market has, has had a devastating effect on a lot of people, and we want to be able to keep producers going, keep everybody focused back on our real business, and that is putting that high-quality beef on everybody's table, especially in times like this. So hopefully with what we're doing here, we can we can get everybody and keep everybody going with their operations. Um, help the use this to help weather or to even out some of the some of the uh, the, the adverse impact that we're facing. Jerry, on those same lines in feedlot country, uh, you know, whether obviously we're not down at the stockyards of the local cafe due to social distancing, but uh, if you receive a phone call from from uh, some of your your uh, fellow producers down in that region, what what is the discussion that you've had surrounding uh, the the funding that that is going to be allocated towards the, towards the livestock industry? I think it's a mixed bag. You know, as Marty alluded to, this is something that's relatively new for the livestock industry to be involved in this kind of a, uh, assistance from the government. Uh, but we have so many people that are hurting. Uh, uh, there's some losses that have occurred. Uh, and so I think there's more of a willingness to at least uh, be a part of it. And I think NCBA was instrumental in uh, uh making certain that livestock got included this time, particularly cattle got included in, in this uh, latest round of assistance. And uh, uh, while there will be other industries that will share in some of that money, uh, the livestock and cattle industry will certainly be able to get a part of it. And uh, I think generally there's probably more favorable, uh, you know, more people in favor of participating than there are that are opposed, but certainly there are some on both sides of the issue. Now, Jerry, could you maybe expand a little more? Uh, you, you mentioned that the livestock uh, uh, cattle being included in, in, in this round of uh, assistance, uh, you're referring to the, the previous uh, uh, margin protection payments uh, that occurred uh, due to trade retaliation. Is this just uh, almost a continuation of that? Uh, or am I wrong in saying that? Uh, could, could you explain more on that? That would be my impression at this point. We don't know how uh, USDA is going to set up the uh, uh, formula that will determine what kind of a payment an individual producer will get. My best guess at this point is is it will be structured something similar to the MFP payments that crop producers got last year because of the trade retaliation that was going on. Um, I think certainly they will look at if if a certain producer can prove that he uh, had a loss because of this uh, virus and the, the, the break the market has experienced since the virus uh, came into being, uh, certainly that would probably entitle that producer to some kind of assistance. And I want to point out, too, this assistance is not going to make anyone whole. It's merely going to be able to provide some assistance to help them get through the rough spots here uh, and maybe help pay a few bills but certainly not going to give them 100% coverage. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for explaining that more, just because, I mean, I, I look at all this, and uh, it, it can be very consuming and uh, uh, and overwhelming when, when we see all this information that's out there. And, uh, uh, Don, out, out in your country, uh, 
When you look at, at this uh, assistance, what, what are you hearing from your fellow producers on that? And maybe what, what is, uh, what, what's the conversation centering around over there in the Great Lakes region? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's almost universal support and appreciation to NCBA to stepping up to the plate, understanding the importance of getting money to people who are truly hurting and getting it done in a satisfactory, quick way. So I think it's almost universal supportive. And I think, you know, from our standpoint in the Midwest region, I think the kind of the summary is there's a time to be proud and then there's a time to be smart. And when your family's hurting and the bills are piling up and you have red, red ink flowing, this is a time to be smart. And we appreciate NCBA stepping to the plate, securing these funds to help us uh, get through. As Jerry said, it's not going to make us whole, but sometimes it's the little bit that ekes you by that gets you to play the game again and that's what's so important and i think a lot of appreciation to securing that money for our ranchers and farmers so obviously uh jerry mentioned that usda is going to be uh, responsible for really distributing uh the the funds uh but uh and jerry kind of shared his uh, thought on that but don how, how would you like to see those funds distributed to uh, cattle producers across the countryside you know, that's a million-dollar question, and actually that's the, that's the big political football. Kind of getting the money might be easier than figuring it out how to divide it out. But, you know, you know, regardless of how you look at this, and this is a, hopefully the prism I hope most producers see is, regardless of where you are in your marketing today, somewhere, somehow, you're probably going to be impacted by what's occurred today. If you're a cow-calf guy, it may be impacting you next fall. Who knows? Because somewhere along the lines, the feeders have to regather their equity somehow. So I hope from everybody's perspective, I hope there's a bigger vision to this, that people understand that we're all hurting in this together, and the more we can do collectively to help everybody, the better off our industry will be. Marty, jumping back uh, to, to you, uh, looking at at these funds, uh, how do you think it's is the most appropriate way to distribute them to the ca- cattle industry? One thing that um, to, to follow up on what both Jerry and Donnie were talking about is within our industry, you know, this is something historically we have uh, an area where we haven't gone that much in the past. Uh, as Donnie put it, this is a way to keep families going. And so it needs to be, and, and we'll be working to to make sure that you know, it's not a windfall payment. This isn't some um, relief package for other things. This is to help people get through this crisis and to keep our operations in business. So we're looking, you know, we're going to have to look really at what actual losses occurred and and when those impacts take place. Um, so we want it to be equitable across the entire country, you know, it is something where everybody has been impacted, and um, you know, so we're we're going to be working with USDA. Uh, it is their ultimate uh, decision. They do have systems in place with other crops and whatnot to um, to allocate. So we'll be using some of that, uh, some of those systems to make sure that the people that need the money are going to get it, and that it not be some sort of windfall program. Um, with that said, you know, one of the things that we've been clear on is this isn't, for instance, for packer-owned cattle. This is this is for families, for ranchers, for farmers around the country. And um, for those those people that have been 
adversely impacted uh, through something that uh, that they had no control over. Gentlemen, there's, I mean, I, I look on Facebook and I, sometimes I just want to delete my Facebook account because it, it just gets frustrating. There's a lot of fear. There's anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty in, in not just during this pandemic, but but in the world in general. And, uh, you know, there, there's folks uh, discussing the, the current market situation online. And, you know, there's certainly folks who are saying that cattle producers uh, do not need or, or, or want a, a quote unquote, a, maybe a handout from the government. I, I guess what, what would you say to them? one-on-one as cattle producers about this stimulus bill uh, that that is most likely going to pass the house here in the next hour or so what's your message to them and marty i'll start with you again this is about keeping our 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 operations in business we're not looking for a handout that certainly is not the way of the of beef producers around this country that's not what we do it's not how we do our business um this is that uh, something that is going to help us get through a very difficult time, uh, and it's it's somewhere where it's something that NCBA has looked at long and hard, given the past history, going back to some of the trade issues that we talked about, um, where we've said you know that we really weren't looking for any type of government assistance. This time we got to listen to people from around the country and uh, and our, our membership that said this is different. This is a national crisis, really an international crisis, and we need something that's going to keep people in business. So that's what we're really looking to do here with this. Uh, Jerry, what's your take on that? Lane, NCBA had very stringent policy about opposing this kind of thing, and it's been that way for years. But there was a caveat in our policy that said in the time of a natural disaster, and we had a lot of discussion about that. I think the the, lead, the volunteer leaders and the staff of NCBA dissected that policy, and we made the determination this week that this did indeed uh, result in a natural disaster and that that would allow us to go to Washington and insist that beef producers uh, be included in this process. I would also comment for those that don't really want to do it, they're they're not going to be forced to do it. Uh, If they choose not to participate, that's certainly their option, and I would, I frankly would respect them if they don't. But uh, uh, we certainly have a certain segment of our our industry that need the assistance, and so that's what it's about. Don, your take on this? I I know it's difficult for some because we are, again, we are a proud bunch of uh, a group of people who typically – like to earn everything we get but i guess you know from my perspective and discussing it with uh, lots of people in our area as i mentioned before there's a time to be proud but then there's a time to be smart and when it comes to taking care of your family you've got to use all the means possible to take care of your family and i i very much understand that while this is not a normal practice for ncba it is absolutely the right decision at the right time to assist these families who are definitely in need at a time that uh, there's so much uncertainty in this world. You know, I was uh, just this morning talking to my dad uh, about the situation, about the markets, and, you know, we're, we're a small operation. We, we operate up on Fort Belknap Indian Reservation on Montana's High Line. We've been up there since the late 1860s, early, you know, 1870s, uh, uh, tribal, tribal ranching up there. And, uh, 
You know, we, my dad and I were talking about looking back to the 1980s. Uh, my, my grandfather's not Indian. They, they ranched off the reservation, and a lot of things went haywire um, in the 1980s. And there wasn't a lot of support. A lot of a lot of farmers, a lot of ranchers weren't weren't able to make it through. A lot of young people didn't have a chance to to you know really truly pull up their their boots by their bootstraps and and, and uh, go full head into uh, into agriculture production. They had to seek other careers. My dad's a perfect example of that. He's had to buy every single acre we have. You know, if we look back to the 1980s, if there was you know, an opportunity for either yourselves or, or family members or people that you know to look at these opportunities through assistance to, to stay into business. How would, you know, what, what would you tell somebody back in the 1980s if this was the situation? You know, the 80s is a part that probably marks my memory as strongly as any period in the history of my life. For some people, it's the Great Depression. For me, it's the 80s. And I look back, just like you said, Lane, during that time period, and make sure we don't re-encounter those same difficulties. And I think that's why it's so important for NCBA to engage during this time, make sure that we don't go through the catastrophe that many of us lived through in the 80s, and make sure that we're doing the right things for the right reasons. The other thing I hit on, Lane, and I'm sure you mentioned it just slightly, is you've also got to become competitive. And where I sit here in central Minnesota, there's a lot of farmers right around me who are used to getting some government assistance. And it's a, you know, as you stand there alongside them and say, well, I don't want some as you watch your neighbors collect them, what you're doing to your family is putting them at a disadvantage. And I guess I don't think that's a smart move for ranching communities that have to compete in a world that's very competitive. Jerry, do you want to weigh in on that? I, I know I kind of had a soapbox there, but <laughs> I think the, the 1980s was a kind of an economic downturn. This one is created by a virus that uh, is worldwide, uh, um, and I think back in the 80s too. I think the financial situation of the country was in much dire straits. I think interest rates were sky high, maybe in the 15 to 20 percent range. Today, we certainly don't have that, and I think our banks. Uh, up until this point, have been in pretty decent shape as far as having money available. So I don't know that we have the financial crisis in place right now. Now, if this thing goes on for many months, that that may be a different story. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be one difference between now and 1980. Uh, Marty, you're ta- and, and Jerry, I think that's such a, a good point. And I guess that was I was trying to relay that if this continues on into an economic collapse, which we, we're crossing our fingers, that doesn't happen. But Marty, Marty, your take on, on my soapbox there? Uh, Lane, I, uh, I, I certainly identify with, with everything that you're talking about. Uh, those of us on the call, the, the 80s were, were <laughs> at a, you know, a life-changing time for me as well. I graduated from uh, from college in December of 1980, and the one thing that was clear, there was no place back on the farm or the ranch for me or anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a time when, um, you know, and I, I, what I've learned, and, and this is one of the reasons that I have been so involved with NCBA, um, NCBA has been that organization that gave us some hope for a future and looked at ways to keep us in business, and certainly this is one of those those times. One of the, Again, as Jerry said, it's not like the 80s. There's a lot of good things still out there we need to be thinking about. But as, as somebody that 
now with with you know college age kids, I don't want to have to tell them that. I don't want to have to say there's no place for you in farming or ranching. You got to go find something else to do. Um, one thing I've I've identified so much with NCBA's prior leadership. So many of us in the leadership all have that same uh, you know same occurrence back in the '80s. There was no place for us. There was things were bad, and I want to with what we do here do everything we can to make it better for future generations and their ability to continue to raise the food that our that our nation and our world needs and that's what we're doing here so as we look at the situation at hand and uh, gentlemen i i know it can be like i said uh, facebook it's a place where people vent their frustrations their fears their ideas that shares share news uh, a lot of lot of misinformation out there as well you know what what's your response and i'm sure you get phone calls or, or neighbors saying this that uh, ncba is a packer driven organization um what 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 is maybe that what what is your response in trying to, to combat maybe misinformation about the role that NCBA plays in the countryside in Washington DC Marty I'll, I'll, I'll ask that question to you first Okay certainly that is something that we hear and I think this is a uh, th- this is a good example of where NCBA has stood up for all beef producers uh you know we we did engage in some rather pointed and heated discussions with the Packers. We saw some response to that. Uh, we saw some increase in prices and certainly have seen some recovery in the market over the last week or two. And we'll keep working that. We are working for all producers, cow-calf segment, feeder segment. But that, that, and that's what we are about. And again, the programs we're talking about in Washington are directed towards producers, not toward packers. Uh, anybody that says that, I'd ask them to come to our meetings. Uh, they'll see very quickly when they look at our board of directors, when they look at our executive committee, they look at our officers. You're not going to find any packers in the mix. That's not uh, that's not who makes these decisions. This is the decisions and the directions at NCBA are made by the grassroots members from all over the country. It's not anything that's made by the Packers. And certainly we don't have uh, the, the input of the Packers in making any of these decisions that we're talking about. We're there for the, we're there for the grassroots. We're there for the producers. You know, there's a lot of elements that we, you know, we, we haven't really touched on here that NCBA's done over the last several weeks. One of those is transportation. I mean, huge, huge issue. As Jerry said, we got to keep you know, we got to keep the raw materials coming in, keep the feed sources coming in, be able to get our products out. NCBA has been the one organization that's been out there working in Washington and elsewhere to keep the trucks on the road. And we've had, we've been the one that's, uh, that, that's made a difference. Keep our packing plants open and keep our food processing open. Keep the grocery stores going. Make sure that we're getting that food distributed out there to, uh, to, to all ends of, of the country. Uh, that's what NCBA has been able to do because that's what we're built for. And that is for the producers. That's not for anybody else. That's that's what we as producers come together to work on. And I'm very proud of what we've been able to accomplish. And, you know, the relationship with the Packers always been a tough one. And, uh, I, you know, based on history, I know those issues are going to continue to come up. But that's not what NCBA is. NCBA is grassroots beef producers all over the United States, working together to 
to to uh, to, to make sure we can all stay in business. Yep. Jerry, your thoughts on on that question? Well, Lane, frankly, it's a tired, worn out argument that simply isn't true. Uh, NCBA works hard to make certain that we have a market, and that's what the Packers provide: is that they hit their, they provide the market, the outlet for the for the cattle that we produce. Uh, we've also been actively involved this week with government entities to make certain that inspectors and graders are available to keep uh, cattle going through these plants. So uh, while that maybe not directly helps our members, indirectly it certainly does, because if those plants have to shut down for a lack of inspection or grading, then we can't process our cattle and keep the system going and provide beef to our consumers. So uh, I wish people would quit talking about that because it's not true. Don, on that same line, what are your thoughts, maybe your interactions back home or when you're out in the countryside across the nation uh, talking with producers of all backgrounds? Yeah, you know, that they, they like to cling to that. But, you know, I, I know this is going to come as a surprise to many, but everything you read on Facebook isn't true. And I think this is, a, this is a prime example of when you talk about fake news, it gets, get, just keeps getting regenerated and regenerated with no substantial background to it at all, this is a perfect example. So from my perspective, nothing could be further from the truth. If you look at the history of NCBA, and I mean a long history, policies never come from the Packers to be implemented by NCBA. They always come through producer or producer groups. So nothing could be further from the truth. However, that doesn't mean we don't have relationships with the Packers. And I think maybe that's where the breakdown occurs. It's important that we have relationships with the Packers and know who to talk to and make sure that, as Jerry alluded to, when things get a little sticky and we need to make sure their processing plants can continue to operate when we need them to operate, we have those conversations and make sure we're doing all we can do in the defense of producers to make sure that their product is getting processed through. So I, I would share exactly what uh, Marty and Jerry said, that it, it's an old line. It, there's no substantial fact to it whatsoever. But uh, hopefully those that come to our meetings see what we do with their own eyes, realize that nothing could be further from the truth. Well, gentlemen, as we, we look out our, our our back doors or make a quick trip to town, uh, uh, as I bring this more around back to the coronavirus uh, discussion, um how how are your communities uh, reacting to the pandemic itself? What well, I guess what are you seeing when, when you go to town? Are you seeing uh, grocery store shelves that are empty, uh, uh, no toilet paper on the shelves? Are, are are you seeing community members come together and help each other out? What, what's the reaction been in, in your uh, parts of the world, Don? I'll, I'll I'll direct that towards you first. Yeah, you know we're seeing actually all of that here around us. And in our part of the world, it's a little different. So when you start to say you're going to keep everybody confined in Minnesota, keep in mind we just came through a winter, right, where we self-quarantine basically for three months typically, right? So we have the jitters to get out right now in a big, big way. So I think uh, this quarantine effect is actually having a huge impact on Minnesotans across uh, this area because they're just – itching to get out and do something we're outdoors people we like to hunt we like to fish we like to be outside so it's having some huge consequences now what i've been very proud of is everybody understands there's a bigger reason for doing what we need to do and while it's not fun or it's not comfortable 
I believe the people who are doing their best to follow the guidance that was given by the president are really uh, sucking it up and trying to do the best they can to adhere to those rules. And Jerry, for yourself, what what are you seeing in, in, in Kansas there? Our governor announced a statewide uh, uh, shutdown of most businesses earlier uh, this week, and uh, pretty much every business is honoring that. You know, you still have the essential ones. The grocery stores are still open. Uh, restaurants are open for curbside or, or drive-by or drive-through. Um, but it looks like people are on it pretty well. Traffic uh, here in Wichita is uh, pretty pretty slow. It's probably, I'd say, a half or third of what it normally is. Uh, we still see some, like there's still some construction work going on. I think the, the big box Lowe's and Home Depot and uh, Menards are still open. But uh, to supply, I think, to provide the supplies for uh, these contractors that are still working, uh, I think you, uh, a lot of social distancing being uh, practiced as you go out and walk or ride your bike. Uh, you'll see people make a big effort to stay six feet or more away from one another. So uh, I think for the most part, they're honoring it. We don't have much of uh, the virus here in our state yet. Uh, they continue to predict that we're probably going to see an increase. So. Mm-hmm. Marty, obviously, Florida has a, a lot bigger population than Montana, Kansas, or Minnesota. Uh, what, what is uh, your local community? What, what are they experiencing right now? A lot of the same things that, that I think everybody's experiencing. That is, we've, uh, you know, the restaurants are closed. Uh, they're doing takeout, but um, a lot of retail establishments have closed. I, we're all anxiously awaiting things to open back up. I think one of the things here in Florida, when we talk about the shortages and the runs at the the grocery stores and uh, other places. We go through hurricanes here pretty much every year, and this is to some degree. There's some similarity with uh, with everybody running out and stocking up, getting ready for the the, the, the storm. Uh, certainly, a population that um, very concerned. We do have a, a high percentage of elderly uh, as well, and. You know, tourist industry is basically uh, non-existent right now, so everybody's anxious about that. Um, we're we're optimistic about when this is going to turn around and when we can go back to to a more normal life. At the same time, we got a lot of work to be done, and we're continuing to try to get that done, gentlemen. As beef producers, we, we truly do take a lot of pride in, in, in being independent and getting the job done with, with, by ourselves or with, with little resources. But, you know, uh, kind of circling this back to, to your home communities and states and, uh, you know, for our listeners, you know, what, what should we do or what might we think about to, to, to help our, our friends, our neighbors, say our communities during these difficult times? What, what are some things as beef producers we can do to step up and, and just help our communities get through this pandemic? Marty, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that to you first. Well, certainly I think the biggest thing is just to remember that we are all in this together. This, this affects every individual throughout this country and throughout the world. And we need to remember the human side of this. That's the, that's the most important part of it for everybody. Let's remember that we are all in this together. We all need to be working together. And, uh, uh, you know, let's keep looking at the positive sides of it. Let's keep working together to, uh, uh, to, to bring this to an end and protect ourselves, protect our families, 
and let's get along together. This is a you know the one thing that I'd ask everybody to do. Time to be nice to everybody, and uh, uh, certainly that's something that we could all benefit from. Jerry, your thoughts? I think you know we all need to be on the lookout for friends and neighbors that need assistance. Uh, some of us have uh, older neighbors that uh, really can't get out and about and get their groceries and those kinds of things. And I think we can volunteer to do that, uh, provide a meal for them. Uh, I think the churches have done a pretty nice job, too, of making uh, spiritual assistance available with online services and online prayer times. Uh, uh, and I think all of those are available for people to take advantage of. And there are a lot of uh, uh good movies that are available now through Netflix and YouTube, those kinds of things too, that can help families come together. And I think maybe this is a time for us to, as a country to reconnect with our families and, uh, you know, and to, uh, form a tighter bond because there's no outside distractions uh, to, uh, take away from our time. And, uh, maybe in the long haul, this can be a blessing instead of a curse that, uh, as it's being viewed at right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don, yeah, you know, it's had a, actually an interesting effect here in Kimball, Minnesota. You know, this is an opportunity, as Jerry said, for us to lead by example a little bit. And uh, surprisingly, we as a family typically almost never eat out. So we're ones that go home for lunch and eat with our family and kind of do things the way it's been done for 100 years. During this time period, we've made it to one of our priorities as a family and as a farm to make sure we help the community by eating out more often, actually, and going to get the food. So actually yesterday, we sent Dad out to go pick up the food for the family, and by gosh, he came back with 50 sandwiches for all of us. So he did a little talking to the restauranteurs, and they said, how is this whole downside affecting you? And he said, you know what? Surprisingly, there's more people like us out there than you can imagine that they're stretching themselves out and they're saying, you know, we're going to help that local mm-hmm. restaurant here. The other thing, the other thing we've decided to do, and uh, we've done this all along, but we kind of stepped up the efforts during this time is we want to make sure that food shelf is stacked full of beef. And we basically came in there and said, we got a standing order that if you need beef, we got beef. And during this time period, we want to make sure there are no hungry mouths in the Kimball community area. We've seen retail demand for beef increase 77% in the last week in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. What's your message to consumers who are clearly enjoying beef, uh, going to this reliable protein in the grocery store in the wake of this pandemic? Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes actions speak louder than words, Lane. And I guess as you kind of watch this thing play out, if you're a beef cattle producer and you don't smile when you see, when you take kind of the, the curtain away, if you will, and seeing what people truly do want our product and watch what happened in the grocery shelves, I guess I can't help but be extremely proud and say, gosh, thank you consumers for really demanding the product we raise. It's very humbling. And I think it almost hits another chord when you see those fake meat products sit in those shelves and sit almost fully stocked as all of our good high-quality protein around and is com- completely diminished. And I think, you know, I don't, I know there's a lot of research projects who have evaluated this thing different ways and different uh, experiences, but I don't think there's a clearer way of sending a message of what consumers really want is to look at that shelf and see 
there's none of our beef products and not a fake meat products are fully stocked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry, what, what is, what is your thought on that increase in, in retail beef demand during, during this very uh, trying time? Well, first of all, I'm like Donnie, I would thank beef consumers for buying our product. And I think secondly, it shows that when the, the, the things get tough, uh, they go back to that good old, uh, high quality, good tasting comfort food beef. And, uh, uh, I'm excited, uh, that, that the, they chose to do that. And I think it certainly sends a good signal to our industry that we are producing a product that consumers want. And, you know, the quality of our product has, has continued to improve as, uh, genetics have gotten better and feeding technologies have gotten better. And so, uh, I think, uh, unfortunately it's taking a disaster here to uh really show that but uh it's it's exciting to see that the uh, people went out and bought a lot of beef and they've stocked up and they're going to enjoy beef uh while they're uh, cooking at home marty what is maybe your message to consumers that are are going back to this reliable healthy nutritious protein during uh, this pandemic again we're very appreciative of uh of all of the consumers out there we have said for years and continue to say it is the best and safest, most efficient, uh, and uh, you know best tasting product that, um, uh, that that any of us can buy. And certainly, the market trend right now shows that. And so, it does really, I think, bode well for for all of our future. We will get through this, and uh, you know, let's have a great and strong beef industry as part of it. Yeah, I just kind of have to chuckle at myself, you know, like like most of us uh, young guys or cow calf operators, uh, the 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 good steers and heifers, you know, they go down to the road, they go to the feed lots down in Jerry's country, and most of the time, the that great home raised hamburger that I get to enjoy is uh, maybe a, a little older cow that uh, we're we're using to stock our our freezers with, and we were getting a little low at uh, my wife and I here our house, and she she rolled in yesterday from her parents' operation with some with some hamburgers. So we are stocked up. I'm happy to have some hamburger. We got some steaks in there too. So I'm gonna I'm gonna light up the grill, even though it's a little cold out here. The not much snow on the ground. I'm gonna be cooking some steaks here later today. But so kind of lighten the mood. How about uh, Marty? What what are maybe some of those good cuts of meat that uh, you're you're enjoying maybe at home this week, uh, cooking in, in self distance mode? Well, you know, this has been a great opportunity to uh, to, to look at some more recipes. Um, that is one place the internet uh, does provide some interesting information, and uh, yeah, we we're enjoying that time as a family eating together, and uh, give us a time to try out some things we probably otherwise don't get and uh, or don't eat. So uh, encourage everybody. Let's let's make this a fun family time, and uh, and and let's uh, do this with our kids, do this with our family. Let's. Uh, uh, it's a great time to try some of the other cuts that we know we we may not uh, get to eat every day. So, um, again, great uh, response from our market, great response from our consumers, and those of us in the industry look forward to continuing to supply that demand for them. Jerry, how about yourself? Lane, my favorite cut is a KC strip or possibly a good old ribeye steak, uh, but. There are certainly other items that uh, fit the bill, too, uh, uh, but it's hard to go wrong with those. Uh, we have a tradition here. A lot of our Sundays, we uh, we have a roast in the oven while we go to church, and when we come home, we enjoy a, a good beef roast for Sunday dinner. So those would be the probably the three things that uh, 
resonate here in our family. Now, Don, you mentioned that uh, that your family uh, is helping support those local businesses uh, too. But if you're digging around in the uh, old ice chest, uh, what are some of those uh, meat cuts you're going to be pulling out to, to 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 feed your family here? Well, you know, it's not just about me with this family. So I got uh, two daughters home right now, and my wife. And what we found out is we all love beef, but there's just a lot of versatility and variation among the cuts that all of us like. So my wife is juggling between what we're going to eat today to satisfy one daughter, what we're going to eat tonight to satisfy me, et cetera. So from one daughter's perspective, she just uh, likes the versatility of hamburger. I mean, for all that said and for all the talk about steaks, et cetera, let's not forget how versatile and how well-loved hamburger is. And uh, that's her favorite. My other daughter, who's actually a food scientist in at Kansas State, she loves the flavor of a sirloin steak, and that's uh, by far her favorite. Uh, the deep flavor you get with that sirloin steak is something she just smiles ear to ear. Now, last night we had my favorite, and that was a, a ribeye steak, and we cooked it out on the grill last night. And if you have any concern that we're going to lose demand with beef, all you have to do is re-cook, fire the grill up, put on a ribeye steak and you'll understand why beef is still the king of the consumer's plate you know you you bring up just the consumer's plate and it takes so many different individuals to make sure that that product makes it to uh, a consumer's uh, kitchen uh, served cooked served ate you know, and uh, I think we've seen a lot of spotlight on, on the pipeline that it takes to, to get the uh, product from pasture to plate. Um, you know, whether it is the, the, the truck drivers, the, the grocery store retail workers, uh, the, the meat cutters, the, the uh, employees at the processing facilities that uh, are, uh, you know, taking time away from their families and, uh, uh, and making sure that we have product in the grocery store. You know, what's your message to these hardworking individuals that are keeping the beef supply chain moving and uh, making sure that during this very difficult time, beef is available? We've been talking about that here for the last few minutes. Don, what, what is your uh, message to all those workers all, along this supply chain? Yeah, you know, they, they've done a fantastic job and a big thank you to all of them. You know, like you said, it's a complicated supply chain, and while everybody else is confining themselves to their homes, they're out making everything happen and making sure that uh, we have food security, which is the number one of the most important things we can provide the entire public during a time like this. And what they're doing, it makes it all happen, and I just want to say a big thank you to all of them and realize that uh, what they do every day may not uh, always be put front and center and get a gold star, et cetera. But without them, this whole supply chain would collapse, and they are a crucial, important cog, each one of them, to making sure that uh, meat ultimately hits the consumer's plate. Jerry, what's your message to, to all those hard workers making sure that the food supply, the beef supply chain continues? First, a great big thank you for all of them that are continuing to work. Uh, and uh, without them, our system doesn't, doesn't operate, and uh, we can't get food to the people like, like uh, they need. Um, you know, and that includes the truckers that uh, deliver the cattle to the processing plants and 
and the beef out of the plants to the stores uh, uh, without them operating. And thank you to the restaurants that are uh, offering to provide food for these truckers because many truck stops have shut down and restaurants are closed. And I've, I know they were having trouble finding places to uh, get refueled and, and get food. And uh, thank you for those that have stepped forward to uh, help us out. And uh, uh, they're true patriots. Uh, you know, without them, uh, our food system wouldn't operate. And so uh, we're in the land of plenty, and we're going to continue to provide food. And food will not uh, become uh, short because of the willingness of these people to uh, do what they do every day. And then I would also say, please work safely and practice all the hygiene that, uh, that's being, uh, that we're being asked to, uh, to do. And I'm certain that they are, but, uh, I hope they'll just continue what they're doing. I think uh, Patriots is, is a perfect, uh, word to describe, uh, all these men and women, uh, working day in and day out, uh, making sure that, uh, the food supply continues to go. Uh, Marty, what, what are your thoughts on that? Again, I'll echo the thanks that, uh, that we're all conveying here to, uh, to, to everybody involved in this entire beef chain uh, from, from the beginning to the, to, the, to the end of it. And it is an example of one of the great things about our nation, about our country, the way we can come together and work in an incredibly complex uh, system, an incredibly trying time and still make sure that we are getting that product on the plate. Uh, so we have a lot to be proud of there. We've got a lot to be thankful for. And, uh, uh, you know, the, working together like we are doing, we'll move through this and uh, put this one behind us. And so, again, thanks to everybody involved in that process. Um, really appreciate the hard work that uh, that. that all of the folks at NCBA and uh, other organizations as well are what we're doing to make this um, to make this a time that we can all get through. And uh, again, thanks to all the consumers, thanks to everybody involved in the chain. Uh, just a few moments ago, the uh, House representatives did pass the uh, stimulus package. Uh, of course, uh, the day we were recording this, the end of the week. Um, uh, during uh, the epidemic itself, so the uh, that will be heading to the president's desk. I know he'll sign that here shortly. Uh, a gentleman, is there any last comments that, that you would just like to share with our podcast audience? Uh, Don, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, you know we're here to serve the whole cattle industry. So if there are concerns or ideas or thoughts that uh, any of you would like to contact one of us, we'd be glad to hear them and glad to get your input. I'm glad to tell you front and center what NCBA is doing for you and for your family for the sake of making sure you're in this business for the long haul. Jerry, your, your final comments? Yeah, Lane, I'd say that NCBA understands the stress and uncertainty that everyone is going through. And uh, uh, our staff has worked overtime this week to uh, make certain that uh, our needs are being met in, in Washington, D.C., and uh, for me personally, I just uh, would throw out a big thank you to our team there in Denver and Washington. Many of them are working from home, but they're still at work, and they put in a lot of effort and time. And I think the beneficiaries of that will be our NCBA membership uh, and others as we as we move forward and get through this crisis. Marty, f- final thoughts on on and just a message to our podcast audience today. Yeah, as Donnie pointed out, we are 
uh, as volunteer officers and uh, certainly our NCBA staff. We are there for producers around this country, and we certainly welcome your input. What we're able to do here is the result of the work of a lot of people for a lot of years, and a lot of volunteer time has gone into this. A lot of staff time goes into it. We're able to uh, to, to keep the beef industry moving. So for anybody who's got any questions, feel free to ask them. More importantly, encourage you to come to our meetings, take part in this. That is where these grassroots decisions are made. That's where our policy is made, and that's where we get our direction. And we want to hear from you. We want you involved. And we look forward to moving this thing further and end up with something even better than what we've had. And uh, thoughts and prayers be with everybody throughout this time. And we, uh, you know, we, we are there to help you, and uh, we'll continue to do that. Thank you. Well, thank you, Marty. And again, thank you to all three of our guests today. Don Schiefelbein, Vice President from Minnesota, Jerry Bond, President-elect from Kansas, and President of the NCBA, Marty Smith from Florida. Gentlemen, I know uh, it's a busy time on the operations, but I thank you for, for taking this hour to, to, to share the, the work that's going on and to answer a few questions. Uh, so I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this, Lane. Glad to be here. Well, friends, that will do it for this edition of the Cattleman's Call podcast. Thanks for answering the Cattleman's Call. For more information and to learn more about the three guests that we had on today's show, just visit ncba.org. For any suggestions for future shows or questions you may have, just visit us online at ncba.org and click on the Cattleman's Call tab. That'll do it for today. I'm Lane Nordlund. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.